Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I've got a great guest in Gil Rosen. Now, Gil is the CMO at Amdocs. And if you don't know Amdocs, massive organization over 4 billion in revenue, 27,000 employees, and they're scattered over 85 countries. So to take the lead of an organization of that scale, you need perspective to tell the right stories. And that's what Gil unpacks today, is how he comes in and defines the right stories for first all their employees to buy into, but ultimately the end user. And he's got some really creative ways that he's thinking about the world in a, you know, I'm gonna call it post-COVID because even though we're not through this, we are now post-COVID. It is the new reality. And he talks about this idea of the enterprise consumer, really interesting perspective on how we need to think about who we're selling, how they're living on a day-to-day basis. This is a great episode if you're trying to think about how to tell the right stories to resonate with your buyers in a world that is changing so quickly. Here's my chat with Gil Rosen. Hey, Gail, thanks so much for finding time to chat with us. I know we are in different time zones, but now we're we're all connected because we're all remote anyway. So it's it's pretty similar these days. Now, I want to dig into how you became CMO at Amdocs, a bit, a bit of a boomerang situation where you've come back. But let's go back to when your career started in marketing. Where where would you say that that took place? Well, actually, my first uh, round in marketing was in a pharmaceutical company. Uh, I worked uh, in New York for uh, for Taro. It's a pharmaceutical company, and I think it's it's actually very unique uh, situation when you work in the in, in that industry because different medicines, let's put it that way, have different um, segments they uh, aim for, and not only in the classic way as you have in in, in regular product marketing, but uh, a specific. Uh, cream or or pill or whatever you actually have a segment that's related to the doctors to the nurses to the parents to the children and that's the first time where you actually start to deeply understand what it means to have a target audience the you know what you actually need to message to each one although it's the same product it has all these different dimensions and starting from that place actually gave gave me a really good rounded view of what marketing is all about um, understanding the distribution channels, understanding the motivation for actually providing or subscribe, uh, uh, giving a subscription for medicine, um, how you how you target doctors different than nurses, how you target parents, and and what you have to do, which you actually can to children, and that kind of I think it's a it's actually a really good school to start in. I don't know I don't know that I would definitely recommend it as a as a must, but it's it's a super interesting industry to start uh, the career in, marketing career in. So, you know, you you understood product marketing coming out of there, and, and I agree with you. I mean, so many different personas you got to think about alone when you're selling a pharmaceutical product, uh, you know, to get that channel play done effectively. But from there, you didn't continue down maybe a traditional marketing path. You went more the entrepreneurial path. What was TriPlay's vision, and, and what, what did it mean for you shifting from the marketing lens to, you know, overall CEO, general manager role? 
Well, uh, at that time, you know, I, when I was in, in Taro, I was really responsible for, for setting up the entire online activity and marketing channels. And that was when this is like 2003, four, and then, you know, the whole mobile internet just started. We didn't have smartphones back then, but the phones became smarter. They, they started to take pictures. We started to have the first Sony Ericsson with, with cameras and Motorola's and Nokia's. And it became apparent to me also as a person who was in the media from the media perspective, that we have a complete separation between the different media channels. So whatever media you can do on mobile, you could not consume on your computer and definitely not on your TV. And, and that brought me to the kind of the epiphany that we need some type of place or way in order to be able to take a picture on your phone, but see it on your PC or have the pictures on your PC consumed via your phone. Now this today is like seamless and it's also called cloud. We didn't even have the word cloud back then. And what TriPlay did in essence is say, any media, any device, anywhere. And we created really hacks to have a Nokia talk to the PC, to a Motorola, because back then there weren't any media standards either. So a photo that you took on your uh, Nokia phone couldn't be viewed on your Sony Ericsson and definitely not on your PC. So TriPlay actually had this vision way before its time, by the way, of having a cloud or having a place where you could actually see everything and consume everything from, uh, from one location. Uh, across many devices. And when we pitched this story, by the way, to the VCs, they said, you guys are like dreamers. This is not going to happen, right? Because mm -hmm. Nokia is going to rule the world and they're not going to let the Sony Ericsson uh, phones, uh, right? So we, we really had an uphill struggle. And the amazing thing is that we worked one year to develop an app on one phone uh, series of Nokia, which was the Symbian S60, for those of you who might remember what I'm talking about. And that was after a year we were negotiating with one service provider in one country to have it launched. That was how hard it was to be a mobile developer in 2005, six, and, and, and look at how the world changed. And that kind of experience, first of all, took me from pure marketing into like everything, right? So when you, when you found a startup, you start to do product development and marketing and, and technology, and you have to understand it end to end. And then you have to understand, you know, the, the, the market problem and how you actually simplify the message to the to the user because users were not even thinking about the possibility to enjoy this type of capability so we were like when you're an early stage startup and you're doing something that's really kind of breakthrough you actually have the problem of translating or creating the demand for something that people don't even understand they they need and that's something that i usually find kind of i'm always a borderline of doing something that's that's just on time so you can actually kind of break it down to the user and, and serve it to them at the right time and doing something too early and then you're actually on one side you're kind of you're the first one to the market but on, on the other side as a marketing from a marketing challenge you actually have to break through the demand curve and actually make sure that people understand that this is something that they want and i think that's something really interesting with technology and startups is is, is living between the, the too early to the too late and, and finding the sweet spot of, of when you go to market and how you translate a, uh, something that doesn't exist yet to something that, you know, imagine trying to, I'll give you an example. Imagine trying to tell someone five years ago what TikTok is about, right? right. Uh, you just, it's short clips, you dance, you actually copycat somebody and da, da, da. There isn't really a way to, to do it. It's something, you know, so, you, you got to paint that picture. And, and I think, as you said, that product marketing lens helps you 
think about how to position something. So I, I want to kind of fast forward a number of years. I mean, there was about 10 years or so where you continued in these agency plays and, you know, probably helping bring these disruptive products to market. And then you became a CMO for the first time. So what was it about, you know, that path that, that really set you up to be a CMO? Like today as a CMO, what skills do you recall back to your earlier career that you bring into your day-to-day management? Absolutely. The most important skill that I learned along the way as an entrepreneur, that is the foundation. It's kind of it's the skeleton of what I do is story. When you deal with startup or with a startup or any technology play, and you need to articulate why and what you're doing and have passion around it and create momentum and, 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 and really and really create the understanding of, you know, the reason why this exists and why you need to buy it or why it has whatever it is. Storytelling is the absolute essence that unifies everybody around the idea. Storytelling in many ways is also, especially in technology companies, it's many times underestimated because people, engineers, uh, and I don't say this in a bad way, are very logical in their thinking. So from their perspective, it's obvious that if I do X and X solves a problem that you will understand why I'm solving it for you and therefore you will buy it. But the average user on the other side of the river doesn't think like you, the engineer, the you know, of whoever created that uh, solution. So storytelling in the, in the marketing's kind of function is to actually create a bridge between the creator of whatever it is, especially on the technology side and, and, and the end user. And I think coming from the technology side, creating all these, you know, different, um, you know, founding my own startup. And then later on in Deutsche Telekom, I was, you know, I was, I was leading numerous technology uh, initiatives. I would say mainly as I would say pseudo GM and all the way to a GM role, uh, but never in pure marketing sense. Uh, you really understand the, the essence of storytelling and how important it is. And by the way, I wouldn't say that I have a classic uh, CMO upbringing, but I found that in the technology domain and, and the ecosystem I live in, my, my experience is actually very unique because I'm very empathetic on one side with the engineering side of the house because I know it very intimately. And the, on the other side, I also dealt with the simplest form of go-to-market of, a, of a foot cream coming out of a pharmaceutical company. Okay. And, and, and very few people have that experience of being, you know, the pharmaceutical company, foot cream. And I, I'm not kidding, right? It, 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 there was a foot cream that I actually did a massive go-to-market for back in 2003. Um, and then all the way to a uh, tablet in Germany in, in, in 2013 or 14. So, and what connects the two is, is really the story you have to tell. And I think uh, people underestimate it. And a good story takes you a very long way. And then it's really also understanding the different functions in the organization, you know, from even when, when you do marketing and people who do not understand the technology all the way, you know, I don't think can really be good marketers of, of it, right? So I think being able to swim in that very, I would say, high-tech pool of things that are complicated and then simplifying simplifying them for the end user and understanding all the you know all the stations in between is something super important for a CMO to know. 
you cannot, I think people who come only from the marketing discipline are kind of missing the complexity of the engineering and some of the things and the opportunities and, and the breakthroughs that are happening that would find it hard to translate. Some people say they don't need to because they just need the end message. But I think sometimes the dialogue with the engineers is super needed in order to make things real. And, and I think that a marketer's role is not to just translate the solution to the go-to-market, but actually also give direction to the engineers what to do. Right. Help them understand the story that you're trying to build. Right. And be a pillar, a steering pillar of where the solution is heading. So I see my role in the company, not just to take whatever is being built and let's call it, create a nice facade for it and a simplified facade for it, but say, hey, this is the market. We need to build this. It's kind of a dialogue. And in a dialogue, you need to be able to be both an engineer and a marketeer. So Gil, we're going to take a short break here. I want to dig a little bit deeper though on this idea of storytelling. We'll jump back into that when we talk about the buyer journey at Amdocs right after a short break here. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I love how Gil unpacks this stop at TriPlay and his realization of the need to bridge the engineers and the marketers on his team. And I think that's one of the realities that a lot of us have to look at, no matter the size or scale of our organization. Very often, these are two different languages, but to our customer, what they need is something that lives in the middle, right? Storytelling is very important. You'll hear Gil talk a lot about that today, but we have to find a way to tell stories, but still inject our product in there and make sure that we don't over storytell, but actually bring in what is the functionality that we can bring to you with our products. I'm seeing more and more of a shift in that in the market where people expect not just content marketing that's the leadership level, but content marketing that weaves in how products will solve for you for the biggest problems that you may be facing as a consumer. I think Gil's experience allows him to tackle this in a meaningful way. So Gil, I want to dive deeper into storytelling and, and I love the way you emphasize the importance to a CMO and the role of guiding that story, not just with the marketing team, but the engineering team. And I imagine at Amdocs, which hopefully will help us understand the scale of Amdocs, but I know it's a massive organization that's been around for quite some time. I'm sure there's some storytelling that's got to be updated, you know, stuff that people are going to lean into again. So first off, how big is Amdocs today? So Amdocs, we're about 27,000 people spread over 85 countries, revenues about uh, 4 billion plus annually uh, and growing. You know, we are uh, most likely uh, probably uh, the largest software company in the telecom business that's focusing only on telecom or mostly on telecom. 
Uh, there are other players in the industry which are big, of course, but uh, Amdocs really prides itself in, in being the, the, the world leader and expert in the telecom domain, telecom and media yeah. domain. So, so based on that, I mean, growing to four billion in revenue doesn't happen overnight. You know, I'm sure that of those twenty-seven thousand people, some of them are telling stories that are maybe not the story that you're excited about where the business is going. How do you rally everyone around a modern-day story when a company's been around for decades? So, yes, it has been around for decades. And what's interesting about Amdocs is actually the domain that we're in, right? We, we are at the forefront of the telecommunication and media domains. And if you think about what they mean for humanity, uh, and actually also in the context of uh, COVID, you know, imagine, imagine COVID happening without communication and media, right? I mean, it would be like a, a nightmare, right? Okay. We are, uh, you know, the, the communication industry is basically keeping humanity intact and, and connected and entertained. And the story of, of Amdocs is really kind of, and what we try to figure out over the last few years is right, it's not only Amdocs, I think it's the challenge of B2B companies. Because when I, you know, in my former role, I was the CMO of a telecom company. And it was very easy for me to kind of connect the, the essence of what we're doing to the end user because we were serving the end user, being the customer, the end customer at home. Amdocs is serving telecommunication companies which serve the end user. So a B2B company many times find it harder to have like a, like a deep purpose because we're serving the people who serve. And actually what we decided to do in Amdocs, which I think has made a profound difference, and this also goes back to the storytelling, is that we decided that our purpose is not to look at the telecom companies or customers, but to look at what Amdocs impact is on, on creating a better society and connected world. Because by the fact that we are the engine of all these different communication companies globally, we are actually making sure that the world is connected. So we don't look at it in the micro way of one customer, we're serving this customer in North America and that customer in Europe, by the fact that Amdoc systems are actually the support, the life support, the business support systems of all the telecommunication companies globally, we are actually making sure that society is progressing and we are living in a better connected world. And, and the story of the communication industry and, and the meaning of the communication industry to the, to the world, meaning how you make, uh, you know, uh, better connectivity in the home, better education, better industry, safer cities, uh, uh, you know, and, and everything that comes with the advancement of, of communication and media basically translates back to the, to the narrative of Amdocs and our impact on the world. So for once you kind of get rid of that uh, very simplistic uh, sales, who do we sell to? And you look at the impact of what your systems are doing to the world, it's much easier to create a purpose and a narrative which, which people connect to. So how do you get people, these 27,000 people around the world, 85 countries, how do you get them all to buy into this vision? Because it, it's a much sexier sell. It's something that people can lean into. It moves away from just selling products, as you've said to us, and you know, selling the technical features, but getting someone to be excited about the partnership they can have with you. How do you shift that for people who, who didn't, you know, have been there for 10, 20 years and you know, know the way they like to sell? So, you know, first of all, it, it is a challenge. And one of, one of Amdocs' biggest challenges is that we were, and still are, by the way, the absolute dominant player when it comes to this monetization domain, also very simplistically called billing. This has been our legacy. And I call it, you know, when you're the Michael Jordan of billing, 
which we are in our industry. Uh, and now we've gotten through very, you know, we've, we've had tens of acquisitions and we've been, and our, por our product portfolio has evolved greatly into many new domains from the network all the way to, to media. And we're no longer just in this one box of monetization or billing. How do you tell the how do you tell anyone, hey, I'm no I'm I'm not just Michael Jordan of basketball, I'm Michael Jordan of baseball, I'm Michael Jordan of tennis, right? So it is is it is a, a I don't want to say a, it's it's something that you can be proud of, but you actually have to convince people that you're you can do more. First of all, I spin it that way, meaning people can say, Oh, you're the legacy company that did billing. And I say, no, we are the Michael Jordan of billing. If you're best at anything, that means first of all that you and you know you are a company that aims for leadership for excellence now let's take this excellence and this capability and invest in another domain so we acquired a few companies in the media domain and now we're also you know we're serving the the world's largest media players such as warner brothers and hbo and netflix and you name it and then we we make acquisitions in the network domain and and we serve uh we serve uh these new domains so you actually instead of focusing on on billing as a domain you focus on the excellence of a company being able to lead whatever domain it gets into. And also the journey of, of the communication companies from just being a company that sells you connectivity to a company that all of a sudden gives you media entertainment at home, that gives you now, I don't know, 5G or whatever complicated network into the, into the enterprise, the communication or our customers also expanded their vision. So we kind of shadowed that and sometimes had to run ahead of them because when a customer turns around and says, hey, I need that bit of technology, you need to have it already baked. You would have had to think about it two years in advance in order to start working on it. And then when they turn around, like, there you go, it's ready. So that kind of forward-looking vision is super important in a company. And in order to do that, it's also I connected back to the narrative. You, you, need, you really need to understand the narrative of the industry and where the industry is most likely to go. So the narrative is not just a marketing thing. It's really about understanding, if you think of an industry like a river that's flowing and where it's going to reach next, you really need to understand the forces of the water behind you and the rocks ahead and where it's going to go and all the difficulties and the challenges and how you're going to steer. And you as a software vendor, you have to run ahead and make sure that you have whatever is needed in order for when the water comes your way, you will be able to you know, canoe with it. So let me you know, ask you a quick question there, because I, I love the analogy that you're giving, and, and I, I love this Michael Jordan reference too. I'm, I'm thinking of more consumer companies that have done the same as you're describing. I mean, think of Amazon, right? A lot of us associated Amazon maybe as something that, that ships to me, but now I watch television shows on Amazon. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've got various things. Compute that I power. Think. Yeah. Exactly. The US, they, they, they do so many different things. What I'm trying to figure out at Amdocs and, and at some of these other companies, you give this analogy of preparing for that next pillar that you're going to conquer. And I imagine that Amdocs has these different areas of excellence, and you've got business owners of that. Is there a business owner of Amdocs as a whole that's thinking of that vision? And is that a marketing team play, or is that more of a product vision play in terms of thinking about what's your next area that you want to conquer? Uh, that's a really good question. And I think that's kind of the, um, the complexity and the dynamics of a big corporate. So if you think about a startup, you would usually have, I don't know, the biz dev guy or the CEO, he's the visionary, he, you know, he, he decides. In a big corporate, first of all, we have a, a corporate development uh, unit that does kind of the macro, macro strategizing. They think ahead, they, they look at all the trends to the percentages and the growth, uh, whatever. 
right? So that's one unit that gives a perspective. Then you have the, 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 the technology team that they have their own kind of technology input and they say, hey, cloud is next, microservices is next, uh, CICD, serverless, uh, low code, all these things. Th this is where the product needs to go. This is how we need to develop our product. Then comes the marketing team and says, hey, I'll give you a recent uh, a prediction of mine, right? And uh, really related to COVID. You know, I predict, and I created kind of, a, I'm naming it, I predict that there is a new segment that has just been born. I call it the enterprise consumer. What's the enterprise consumer? It's actually us. We're, we're business people sitting at home, but while the service provider used to sell billions of dollars globally to enterprises to connect their campuses with firewalls and fiber optics and, and SD-WANs and blah, 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 campuses are empty. All the employees are home. Where are all these enterprise services? How do they reach my, my home? Uh, how do you provide enterprise services over home broadband? It's a okay. new category. It's a new category. So this, is, this has been, as an example, uh, uh, the marketing's input on understanding the narrative of the industry, defining a new uh, uh, market segment. And now we, from the Antox perspective, say, what products do we have to provide our customers so they can serve the enterprise uh, uh, consumer? The person sitting at home that actually, while we're having this video conference or uh, a podcast, if my son is playing uh, Fortnite, I don't want to have a quality of service issues. And I want this line to be secured. Uh, my daughter's TikTok doesn't need to be secured. This line needs okay. to be secured. Now, these things don't, you don't have those capabilities over home broadband. So this is enterprise kind of grade capabilities. So... If Amdocs, as, as we do now, we look ahead and say, hey, a new segment is being born. What products do we have to serve our customers so they can serve their customers? So that's a marketing function. And the dialogue between corporate development, marketing, technology, I think creates the narrative and you have different forums. There isn't like a one storyteller or one like, a, you know, like one czar of, uh, of strategy. Interesting. Really interesting, Gil. It really fun to unpack what it's like at a big corporate uh, enterprise, like you said, and, and as well, how you can bring some of those learnings in. We're going to take a short break. We want to learn a little bit more about you outside of work right after on this break on the marketer's journey. I can fully relate to what Gil's talking about here. At Uberflip recently, we went through this evaluation of understanding what do people expect from us? Our products today, are they the same products that we entered the market with five, 10 years ago? And for many companies that changes, it evolves. And we have to make an effort to really understand what is being sold to our buyer. Is it relevant to what we're trying to sell today? And there's a lot of very easy ways for you as the marketing leader to understand this. Obviously, take a look at some of the emails you're sending to customers. Do they depict the offerings that you have today? But sometimes we actually have to get on the calls with our sales reps. And if we can't do that, there's great software out there like Gong and Chorus where we can listen back and find cues and conversations to ensure people are embracing that new narrative, that new story that your company is trying to tell. So Gil, I, I kind of want to point to the realities of COVID in how we all feel connected all the time. But as you've outlined on this podcast, the realities of the world we're in have you connected all the time. And yeah. 
especially a company with 27,000 employees in 85 countries, you've got inbound requests, I'm sure, throughout the entire day. How have you always found time to block off for your own journey, your own personal disconnect? First of all, I think we all kind of, COVID really caused us to uh, a little bit like take down a guard and, and I would say chill. What do I mean? I used to have business meetings where my, I never wore suits, but at least I, you know, business casual. But now you're sitting across from a CEO or a CMO or whoever from of a, you know, of a large telecom company, and they would be sitting at home with shorts, right? And it has created a more personal and kind of, kind of I would say, slightly laid back connection. And, and also when I talk to people from my team, sometimes, you know, their parents, they could be a mother or, or a father and their kid would come over and ask them a question. And I think in the past, if you would have worked from home and your kid said something or walked into your room, you would say, go away, go away. You would be really stressed about it. But now it happens all the time. We're like, okay, let's take, let's take a break. You know, ask the question, take care of your kid. We'll wait a few minutes. Everything is cool. So I think, first of all, it's really important also for the well-being of the employees, for the stress level. It's okay because, hey, you know, Nobody has like an amazing shut vacuum office in the home that nobody will disturb. Disturbing, uh, having a disturbance in a meeting is like uh, like table stakes, right? Outside of the office, I you know I do uh, make sure, and I actually learned this when I learned, let's call it my tour in Germany, because Europeans are really great at work-life balance, and I really learned that from them. I have to admit. Just making sure that post, I don't know, eight, I don't know if that's too late, but eight, nine p.m. I I I, I look less. At my email, I, I don't totally block it off. I don't necessarily answer things I see, even if I, you know, unless they're super urgent, important. I wait till the morning, uh, even though I can and I have time. I just don't answer. Um, I make sure that my morning are dedicated to sports. I do sports almost every morning. Nice. At least, at, at least uh, currently, we can still we're free to do sports, individual sports in Israel. Although the, uh, you know, the, the quarantine is still uh, on, but but the individual sports are allowed, so that's super important. And I do a lot of what I learned during COVID is is home training, which I did less of before. So I do kind of this power yoga stuff. So I, I think a, a combination of, of making sure you keep fit, even though you're mostly home, is super important. Uh, uh, slightly chilling out and not stressing out over things that come your way, even if it's late. Uh, I think, by the way, that's that's. Uh, I think I think that's a uh, that's how you should live anyway, not stress out. Couldn't agree more, Gil. Thank you so much. I, I, yeah, this has been great advice. I, you know, the entire episode, including some of these, you know, personal balance elements, you know, show the experience you've got. I think everyone tuning in probably learned a lot from your journey. I hope everyone tuning in, you know, is thinking about their journey and where they may go next. I hope one day you get to share it on this podcast. Until next time, big thanks goes to Gil Rosen. And this has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.